We're glad you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart.
Shall spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. For in some sin and of anguish, sweep o'er my sinking soul. And I perish, I perish, dear master. Awaken and take control. The winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Be still, be still, be still. Whether the wrath of the storm tossed sea, or demons, or men, or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still, peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace be still. Master, the terror is over, the elements sweetly rest. Their sun in the calm lake is mirrored, and heaven's within my breast. Linger, O oh blessed Redeemer, leave me alone no more. And with joy I shall make the blessed harbor, and rest on the blissful shore. The winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace be still, peace be still. Be still. Whether the wrath of the storm tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still, peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace be still.
Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Beyond 
hope you're enjoying Songs of Praise. Here's some more inspirational music. Hearts deceived. 
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music. times in my childhood we travel so far by nightfall 
how weary I'd grow. Father's arms would slip round me and gently he'd say, My child, we're going home Going home I'm going home There's nothing to The twilight is fading, the day soon shall end. I get homesick, the father I roam, but the father has led me. Each step of the way And now I am going home Going home I'm going home to hold me I caught a glimpse of that heavenly land praise God I
and every corner of my soul, each single step I take, and all my words before I speak them, every place that I have been, and every place that I will go, I cannot hide from you. You know me. There's no story of my life that your memory could not tell. I can't ride the morning wings till I'm completely out of you. But whether in dark or light, I cannot hide from. Already knew my secrets. You watched as I was formed, out of sight from human eyes. Your spirit is with me, and I am always in your presence. When I sit and when I stand, when I sleep and when I rise, I cannot. Listening to Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God. Here I am, dear Lord, take me now, take me now, just as I am. Take the breath you gave me. Take this body. 
again And I'll be what you want me to be Throughout eternity Fell. 
valley And my fears just overwhelm me So I pray, Lord, give me mercy So I can keep pressing on Across the valley, a pasture's green Quiet still waters, so pure and clean My soul's renewed, taste and see The goodness of the Lord Blessed cross, blessed empty tomb Account as lost, all things for you
Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of amazing facts. In our last episode, we were introduced to Haru Hariva, one of the earliest converts in Western Papua. After becoming a Christian, he became an outstanding teacher and evangelist, particularly among the cannibal and headhunting villages in Western Papua. Pastor Martin decided to take Haru and several other teachers to the Tarama River region, known for its cannibalism. After conducting many meetings, Pastor Martin needed to return to his mission, but decided to leave Haru and two teachers and two of his crew behind to continue the meetings. Since they would need a canoe, he set off to buy one in a nearby village. Going to the village early next morning, I asked whether I could buy a canoe. The village people asked what size, and I replied, about a five-man. They said, you will not get one this side of the river's mouth. We have only one or two-man canoes in this river. I felt that the risks would be too great with separate canoes, so decided I would have to abandon the idea unless the next village had a large canoe. We bade farewell and within an hour anchored at a rather large village on the western bank, where I asked whether I could buy a five-man canoe. The people there also assured me that I would not get one this side of the river's mouth. Because of the boars, they use only single or two-man canoes that they can carry above water level when they hear a boar coming. A big boar can be heard for nearly an hour before it reaches you, like the sound of a coming tornado. Returning to the boat, I asked the boys to wind up the anchor. I went to my cabin again and asked, Master, why all this cost of time and fuel and so little accomplished? As I started the engine, a man in a canoe pulled up alongside the boat and said, I have a canoe I'll sell you. What size? About a five-man. Impatiently, I said, Why didn't you tell me that while I was over in your village? He said, Master, it is not in the village. It is up above the village where you spent yesterday taking meetings. Needless to say, I was concerned about the time we were losing, as we had already come downstream about an hour. It would mean two hours at least to go back against the strong current. But then maybe this was God's answer. I decided to go back. Hurriedly, we took this man and his little canoe on board and then travelled upstream past the village where we had spent the Sabbath. We continued on and on. Every mile I grew more impatient. Every little while I would ask where the canoe was. All I could get in reply, Master, he close up now. About an hour above number one village, I said, Listen, this is too silly for words. Have you a canoe or not? He assured me he had, and now said, Master, now he close up too much. Shortly he asked us to pull over against the bank, 
and he led us about 300 yards through heavy tropical bush undergrowth. I'm afraid my patience was about exhausted, for I couldn't see any reason why he would have a canoe so far from the river. I'm going to have to go back and forget about the canoe. No, Master, him he stop. Just then he showed me the canoe. Do you know what it was? A tree that had recently been felled, with not even the top of the tree cut off. In making dugout canoes, the men cut a log off to the desired length and then hollowed out the inside with an axe. Disgustedly, I walked back to the boat and produced a new shiny axe and a new 18-inch bush knife. Holding them up, I said, they could have been yours for a five-man canoe. The man pleaded with me to let him have the axe and the knife. Money, of course, was unknown in this region. He promised that he would have the canoe finished within a week, a job that usually involved months of work. He said, I will call all my people together. We will make big fires so we can work day and night till we get it finished. I asked Haru what he thought. He replied, Fair enough. You can leave me and the four you promised behind. We will wait until they finish the canoe. I was almost fearful to leave Haru and company behind with a new axe and knife, for after all the people were still cannibals, and all they had to do after we had gone was to kill the five men, and the axe and the knife would be theirs. Yet I knew under the impact of the Holy Spirit's power our preaching had made a tremendous impression upon their minds. We took Haru and the other men, together with the village man, back to the village. I gave the boys sufficient food for several days, the wherewithal to trade for further food supplies if necessary, and a new file so Haru could sharpen their axes for them. I then gave Haru and his team explicit instructions that they were not to bypass one village as they worked their way down. They were to preach the gospel in every village. Whether they spent one day or one week in each was up to them. But I emphasised, you must not bypass one village. We sailed away not knowing whether we would ever see them again. This long delay had held us up till after midday, and by nightfall we were opposite the same village where we had anchored the first night on the trip up, instead of being at the river's mouth, as I had planned. This was the same village where Pastor Coivy claimed he had never seen such depths of heathenism in his life. We decided we had no alternative but to anchor, for there were too many floating logs to travel by night. Almost as soon as we had dropped the anchor, I asked Coivy and some of the boat's crew to go over to the village and tell the people to gather together that I was coming over to speak to them. As they left, I expected that what I had asked them to do would take about 20 to 30 minutes. At the end of an hour, there was no sign of my co-workers. After an hour and a half, I became anxious. Finally, after about two hours, I could hear the splash of the oars as the young men rowed back to the boat. Coivy's face was beaming and almost as round as a ball. I asked what had happened. Coivy said, I'm not going to tell you. I've brought some of the people over to tell you.
Just then I saw a dirty old man covered with pig's grease climbing over the side of the boat. I could see by his dignified bearing that he was a chief. With him was a native policeman. As the policeman came on board, he was pulling off his police uniform, saying, Master, I am finished with the police force, so you take these clothes. From now on, I'm going to go everywhere telling the same story as Coivy told us tonight. Then the chief spoke. He had with him a little boy about 12 years of age, and he said, Master, this boy is the last of the bloodline the only one with royal blood flowing through his veins. I want you to take him on your boat to your mission station. Fill him up with the story we have heard tonight. Then when he is full up, bring him back to us and we will empty him out. Then you take him back and fill him up again and we will empty him out. Just then another chief climbed over the side of the boat. Coivy said, you just wait till you hear this man's story. Some three weeks before, this man was awakened by a bright shining light in his village. The next morning he called his people together and told them that he was sure that some great light was going to come to them. Then he said a week or so later he saw the same light again, but this time it seemed to be lighting up the whole river and shining most brightly on his village. Again he called his people together and told them that soon some great light would come to them. Just a few nights before our arrival, he had seen the light again, but this time it seemed to be shining on the river's mouth. As he looked closely, he saw a pure white boat, and on that boat was a white man and a white woman and two white children. As he continued to watch, the great light lit the way for the boat to travel up the river till it came to his village. He finished his story by saying, That is why we tried to get you to stop as you were going up the river, and that is why we cried, for we thought the great light was going to pass us by. We talked on into the night of the Master's love and of the day when he would come back again and how the light of his coming would be brighter than the noonday sun. Surely this was nothing short of a miracle, a direct answer to the prayers of the boys and girls back at our mission station, for it was just over three weeks previously that they had begun their early morning and evening prayer meetings. Furthermore, it was all part of God's plan that we were delayed in getting the five-man canoe, Otherwise we would have been at the river's mouth instead of at the village where we heard these wonderful stories of God's leading and of the sending of his angels to prepare the way. By travelling on the open sea, we were able to get back to the station Monday evening, but because of our delay, I stayed only long enough to put my wife and children off, then put out to sea again for appointments all around the field. Chapter 14 Doni and the Bright Shining Visitor During the weeks that I visited the outstation teachers and attended the committee meeting in Port Moresby, I was continually praying for the five men I had left behind 
along the Tarama River, and particularly for Haru, because I knew he would be the one to make the decisions. Because of minor delays, it was ten weeks before I was able to get back to the mission station and my loved ones again. When I had greeted my wife and family, I asked, Have you heard anything of Haru and the others we left along the Tarama? Yes, they came back about three or four days ago. Haru has an amazing story to tell, but I won't spoil it. I lost no time in finding Haru. I listened to a fantastic story, which was later confirmed by the person concerned. As I tell the story, no doubt you will find it hard to believe, but Pastor Herbert White of the Publishing Department of the General Conference can verify its accuracy, for I later took him into the area, and he too heard the story. The Bible speaks of things happening that we would find hard to believe. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvellously, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay. Listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. It was Asaph who also wrote Psalm 79, and it is a lament and a prayer for Israel. O God, the heathen have come into the land of your people, defiling the holy temple of your presence, making Jerusalem a mere heap of rubble. The dead bodies of your people are now food for the vultures. The wild animals are feasting on the flesh of your saints. Their blood is flowing like water around Jerusalem, and no one was left to bury their bodies. We are a mockery to the nations around us, a laughingstock to those who look on. How much longer, O Lord, will you be angry with us? Will your jealous rage on like a large forest fire? Instead, inflict your wrath on the Gentiles who do not know you, on those kingdoms that do not worship the true God of heaven. For these very nations have eaten up Jacob and devastated the places where they once lived. Oh, please do not punish us for the sins of the past, but may your mercy be showered upon us. For we have been humbled right down to the ground. Please save us, O God that your name may be glorified. Deliver us and make atonement for our sins for your name's sake. For why give excuse for the Gentiles to say, What has happened to their God? Let the nations who have destroyed us feel our suffering and know the vengeance of the blood which your people have shed. Let the pain of the captors be understood by you. And may you exercise your great power to save those who are near death. Inflict upon our enemies seven times the suffering they have brought upon your people 
and thus upon you, O Lord. Then we, your people, your wayward sheep, will offer you our eternal thanks, praising your name through all our generations. <laughs> 